0: The CDC is counting COVID-19 tests wrong. If those words are horrifying to you, you're not alone. Pop star Billie Eilish has had to get her house blurred on Google Maps because of stalkers. And BuzzFeed News' Anne Helen Peterson is with us to talk about how our shopping habits have changed during the pandemic.
1: The date, May 21st, 2020.
0: The time, News o'clock.
1: Hey there, friends. I'm Hayes Brown.
0: And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to News O'Clock.
1: All right. Today, we're just going to dive right in with our Corona update. Here are three things that you need to know. One, despite what you've seen on Twitter, most people in the U.S. are doing what they can to keep the coronavirus in check. According to data compiled by the University of Southern California, about 80% of Americans say that they have worn a face mask in the last week. Back on April 1st, only three out of 10 said the same. So Good job, everyone out there looking like Scorpion from Mortal Kombat. Meanwhile, a HuffPost, YouGov poll said that even as confrontations with people refusing to wear masks are going viral, only 8% of respondents said that wearing a mask was, quote, a sign of weakness. On the flip side, close to 70% of Americans say that it's just respectful to others to wear a mask in public.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's what it's about, right? I mean, you not wearing a mask is causing anxiety for other people and, you know, risk of them catching coronavirus. So it's just like if you go out in public, put a mask on.
1: Right. So, guys, if you're out there listening and you think I'm not sick, I don't need one, you're wrong. (laughs) Okay, two, the slow rollout of lockdown measures in the U.S. came at the cost of at least 36,000 lives. Most U.S. lockdowns started around mid-March. That was definitely the case here in New York City. But a new Columbia University study found that if lockdowns had started even just one week earlier instead, on, say, March 8th, tens of thousands of lives would have been saved. The researchers also found that if the country had begun locking down a week earlier than that on May 1st, 83% of the nation's total COVID deaths would have been avoided. And three... The CDC has been counting the number of coronavirus tests conducted in a fucked up way that is sure to have consequences. The Atlantic reported last night that the CDC has been mixing together two counts, tests to see whether someone is currently sick with the coronavirus, and tests to see whether somebody has antibodies from having the coronavirus at some point. That's really bad because we need the ability to test for who has the coronavirus right now and report that accurately to know actually who needs to isolate and how contained the disease is or isn't. As The Atlantic put it, the upshot is that the government's disease-fighting agency is overstating the country's ability to test people who are sick with COVID-19. The CDC joins Maine, Texas, Vermont, Georgia, and Pennsylvania in making this crucial error. Several of those states, though, have changed up their practices since being called out. But With states racing to kickstart their economies and send people back out of their homes, being blind to how many people are actively infected, a crucial part of many of their plans, means that more spikes could be coming down the line.
0: Is it wrong to say that I just feel like I've been gaslighted by this whole entire experience? Absolutely not. Everything I'm being said, it's like a different number. And now I've I've been led to believe that they're wrong numbers. So every time I hear a number, I don't believe it. Or every time there's a test, I think, oh, it's not accurate. And I'm sure many other people are feeling that way, which is going to lead to people again, like not wanting to take tests or just not believing the facts because we don't know what the facts are.
1: Absolutely. And there's two sides to that. There's the one side where just science is messy and sometimes we learn things and they uh, get corrected later down the line by the new science. That's just a part of it. It's really hard to message around that. But on the flip side, there's shit like this with the <laughs> CDC who should fucking know better than to put those two numbers together and say, hey, mm. here's how many you know positive tests there are out there that we're getting from the total number of tests. If that ratio is fucked up, we are just kind of grasping blind and that's what leads to this like lack of trust that you're talking about.
0: Oof. All right, it's time for today's good news, bad news. This is where I bring you some of the most yikes and most double yikes stories from around the internet. First, bad news for the full house stands of the world, Aunt Becky did it and she told the court she's guilty. For those who may have forgotten, this is the latest beat in a story that started last year when the feds broke up a huge cheating ring designed to get wealthy kids into elite colleges. Lori Laughlin, a.k.a. Aunt Becky from 90s Classic Full House, and her husband, Mosimo Giannulli, got caught for allegedly spending $500,000 in bribes to get their daughters into USC on rowing scholarships. And a reminder, neither one of them are rowers. The two originally pled not guilty and seemed determined to fight the case, but switched it up today. As part of their deal, Laughlin agreed to a sentence of two months in prison, $150,000 fine, and two years of supervised release with 100 hours of community service. But of course, the judge can still change how short or long that is. I still can't believe that you would pay half a million dollars
1: to get your daughters into the University of Southern California. No shade on USC, but holy cow, that is so much money to spend on just the bribe part of things.
0: Through all this, I've just thought about like what the daughters think and stuff like that. And it's like, that's such a like a low blow of like, of like, we don't have faith in you. (laughs)
1: Oh, my gosh. Right. Uh, and I—the what really kills me is that one of the daughters, Olivia Jade, is a social media influencer. And after the story broke, she said, BG Dubs, I'm dropping out. I'm done. I know. So, down the drain, the dollars went.
0: <laughs> I know. It's absolutely like it wasn't even worth it. None of it was worth it.
1: <laughs> Crime, not worth it.
0: Okay, unfortunately, today I have some more bad news. Billie Eilish had to have her house blurred on Google Maps after getting a restraining order against an alleged stalker. Last week, 18-year-old, again, 18 years old, Billie Eilish got a temporary order against a man who showed up at her LA house seven times in one week. So she still lives in her childhood home where she and her brother wrote and recorded her debut album, When We Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? But last year, Billy told Rolling Stone that she sometimes didn't feel safe there since her career blew up. Google wouldn't confirm on the record that they had blurred out Billy's house, but told the British tabloid The Sun that anyone could submit a request for something captured in maps to be blurred out.
1: Oof. I... That is so scary to have someone show up at your house seven times in a week as a daily visit from a creepy stranger.
0: I mean, yeah, I get nervous and I'm just me. I get nervous about like someone seeing my address. It's so like readily available and to be so young and to come into fame so fast and to just like be public and then have someone do that. That's truly scary. It really is
1: a negative shout out to anyone who is looking for her house in the first place. Stop that. You're weird. Okay, uh, when we come back, we've got BuzzFeed News' Anne Helen Peterson with us to talk about how even online shopping has lost its pizzazz these days. We'll be right back.
0: At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. Hi,
2: I'm Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And we're the hosts of the science podcast Stuff to Blow Your Mind, where every week we get to explore some of the weirdest questions in the universe. Like, if sci-fi teleportation was possible, how would it square with the multitudes of organisms that inhabit our human bodies? Can we find evidence of emotions in animals like bees, ants, and crayfish? How would an interplanetary civilization function? Does free will exist? Stuff to Blow Your Mind examines neurological quandaries cosmic mysteries, evolutionary marvels, and the wonders of techno history. Basically, this show is the altar where we worship the weirdness of reality. If anybody ever told you you ask the weirdest questions, it is time to come join us in the place where you belong, the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast. New episodes publish every Tuesday and Thursday with bonus episodes on Saturdays. Listen to Stuff to Blow Your Mind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Roxanne Gay, host of the Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams. Now, what is the Roxane Gay Agenda, you might ask? Well, it's a podcast where I'm going to speak my mind about what's on my mind, and that could be anything. Every week, I will be in conversation with an interesting person who has something to say. We're going to talk about feminism, race, writing in books and art food, pop culture, and yes, politics. I start each show with a recommendation. Really, I'm just going to share with you a movie or a book or maybe some music or a comedy set, something that I really want you to be aware of and maybe engage with as well. Listen to the Luminary Original Podcast, The Roxanne Gay Agenda, The Bad Feminist Podcast of Your Dreams, every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back. As the pandemic has rolled on and we've been shut up inside for literal months, some of the things that once brought us joy seem less fun. And for a lot of people, that includes online shopping.
1: We're joined today by BuzzFeed News reporter Ann Helen Peterson, who wrote about this trend and why, despite what economists say, it might be a good thing in her recent article, I don't feel like buying stuff anymore. Good afternoon, Ann Helen.
3: Hi, happy to be here to talk about not buying things. <laughs> <laughs>
0: In your article, you write about the shift of spending habits, including your own, as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. What is going on and why? Yeah, so I
3: think that a lot of people have felt just a decrease in the desire to spend money on a lot of the things that we spent money on before. So this is not to say that people aren't spending money on anything. Like I know a lot of people are like parents who are spending their money on mini trampolines or like I'm spending more on groceries than I ever have before. But at the same time, You know, my inbox, like a lot of people's inboxes, is filled with emails from every company I've ever bought something from, like 50% off the clearance and all that sort of thing. And usually when I'm stressed out, there's something very comforting about you know, online shopping or buying something that seems like it will fix your stress in some way. And all of that desire has dropped away. It's really interesting.
0: I wonder if you've run into this, but I think from my own experience of being in this quarantine, I've really realized that I can survive on such like little amount of stuff, you know, like, and I haven't felt the need to buy more, you know, I'm like, oh, I only need three pairs of pants. (laughs)
3: Totally. Well, and this is so part of the piece, how it started out is I noticed the behavior in myself. And then I, I did a survey and reached out to people to tell me about their own spending habits. And one person told me they were like, like, You know, I see these ads for new Madewell jeans and I'm like, oh, they're on sale. They never go on sale. I should get some. I'm like, why do I need jeans? The person's like, jeans in this economy? Like, who needs jeans? Leggings. You can do with the, the leggings you have or any sort of dress clothes. Like, why do I need to be fancy in the near future for any purpose?
1: It can really feel like spending and shopping are just really integral to Americanness. Like if you look overseas and see the stereotype of Americans, it's a lot about the buying the stuff. So, and it really is wrapped up in how we think of ourselves. Why do you think that is?
3: You know, it's an actually a pretty recent phenomenon, this link between how we think of societal responsibility and how we think of consumerism. It started to develop during the depression. So, you know, at a previous time when it was like, you need to not spend so much that you're putting other people at risk, but also spending is a way for you to support other people in some way. This continues throughout World War II, especially in terms of like, You should put your money towards war bonds. That's the responsible thing to do and not buy more than you should in terms of rationing and that sort of thing. And then after World War II, you have all of these people who come back from the war, who come back from periods of deprivation, and they're like, okay, it's time to spend. And there were campaigns at the time from various manufacturers who were like, okay, we need to convince Americans that spending is good now. Like, this is a pretty big pivot. And so, part of the way that they did that was by saying that, you know, the more you spend, the more other people will also be able to enjoy the middle class lifestyle. So, by Buying a dishwasher for your home, that puts people to work in the dishwasher factories, which means that they can buy dishwashers for their homes. So it's a a messaging that's pretty uh, weird sounding even to us now, but it worked really effectively. And then it took hold and is still the case now that we've spent more and more every decade and also beyond our means. This is the key thing is that we save far less, while also taking on astronomical amounts of debt. And that's just, that's not just student debt. That's not just mortgage debt. It's also just like the amount that we carry on our credit cards every month.
1: Right. And I feel like during the recession, uh, there was supposed to be this great like credit crunch that kept people from buying new things, but then interest rates went to zero and just stayed at zero. You've written about burnout in millennials. Do you think that these two like
3: factors are related at all? Well, you know, I remember after... <laughs> Trump was elected, and there were a lot of people who felt like the news cycle became really overwhelming, right? And this is also, not coincidentally, when skincare became a huge thing amongst, you know, as people online. And skincare is stuff like, you can buy stuff that's pretty cheap, um, lower-end stuff, or you can buy stuff that's very expensive, but the idea was that somehow if... You were so stressed out by the news cycle. If you could just focus on getting your face in order by doing, you know, like seven different steps and like all of these masks and all sorts of things. But it was very clearly, it was like, what can I buy to fix my problem? And I think that millennials haven't gone through, you know, the first great recession of, uh, you know, the, the modern era. Like many of us either graduated from high school into that recession, graduated from college, or graduated from grad school into that recession. We're really defined by that. And then there's only been about a decade between then and now. And I think that somehow... You know, we were convinced to spend again to try to aspire to the middle class lifestyle. But there's been a realization that it like isn't really working right. Like, oh, I'm spending so much to try to feel middle class. Why do I feel like I'm drowning all the time?
0: As you said earlier in the before times, Americans were asked to help pick up the pieces following times of crisis. Do you think that whenever we reach the covid-19 aftertimes, Americans will be willing to do that whole support the economy through shopping thing again?
3: I mean, I think it depends. So back in 2001, after 9-11, America had been in a bit of a recession, and 9-11 threatened to really deepen that recession because the travel and entertainment industries were just in free fall. And George Bush said, basically, go to the mall. Like, go to Disney World. Do not change your plans. It is patriotic and American to spend. And within two months, America lifted itself out of that mini-depression. So- Is that going to work this time? We're dealing with a much different character of the economic crisis. And also, I think a lot of people who aren't going to buy that sort of messaging, particularly from the leaders in power now.
1: So for obvious reasons, economists are really worried about that. The idea that, you know, people aren't going to be spending as much, that people won't have as much money to spend on uh, the things that they want and in turn boost the economy. But you think that, this decline in spending might actually be a good thing. So why is that?
3: Well, I think a lot of people are exhausted by their stuff, right? We don't buy it. We don't buy stuff and feel like, like, I don't look around my house and I'm like, oh, every item here is, I cherish it. Right. Or it like sparks joy to use the the Marie Kondo um, rhetoric for it. And The reason we accumulate it is because we're so stressed. We're so burnt out. We think, what can I, you know, maybe if I get to this period of like, I feel good about how my bathroom is decorated (laughs) or the way that my room is decorated, then I will feel better about myself as a person. And that's a pretty empty feeling. So if you get to this point and you're like, well, buying stuff hasn't made me feel better and I don't really miss it. Are you going to go back to that period again? Especially if, you know, coming out of um, the, the more medical component of this crisis, if people are still out of work, there's no money to spend it anyway. So instead of going into debt or using credit cards or whatever just to return to normal, I think there will be people, including myself, who are going to be like, what if I actually substantially change my patterns, my, my spending patterns?
0: Well, Anne Helen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much.
1: Okay, everyone, it's time for the list. And today we've got the four most weirdly soothing celebrity ASMR videos, and
0: we're going to do our best to emulate them. With shopping dropping off, a lot of people self careless, we've got to turn to something else for that comfort. Enter W Magazine, who have been forcing celebrities to whisper into my Here's some of our favorites. (laughs) Number one, Cardi B.
1: We are so sorry. Casey, though, if you had your own ASMR (laughs) channel, what would you do for your (laughs)
0: listeners' pleasure?
1: Okay, all right, all right. That is enough of that. But if you want to check out full versions of these or the other 37 of these videos that they did, head on over to W Magazine's YouTube channel.
0: That's it for today. Come on back tomorrow when we're joined by a very special guest, the star of Insecure and the new movie, The Lovebirds. That's right, it's Issa Rae.
1: And remember, if you're taking a coronavirus test soon, keep your fingers crossed for it coming up very positively.
0: And I tested
2: very positively in a in another sense. So negative. this morning, yeah, I tested positively toward negative, right? So, no, I tested uh, perfectly this morning, meaning, mean, I meaning I tested negative.
0: Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories.
1: And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And tell your friends. We love new friends. Then set your alarm so you never miss an episode of Music Clock.
2: Look through your children's eyes and you will discover the true magic of a forest. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.
1: Rafi is the voice of some of the happiest songs of our generation.
2: Baby
1: So, who is the man behind Baby Beluga?
2: Every human being wants to feel respected. When we start with young children, All good things can
1: grow from there. I'm Chris Garcia, comedian, new dad, and host of Finding Rafi, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Fatherly. Listen every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Look through your children's eyes and you will discover the true magic of a forest. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.